mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 9. The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. Dumbledore's abrupt departure took Harry completely by surprise. He remained sitting where he was in the chained chair, struggling with his feelings of shock and relief. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, I'm really excited to jump in today's episode. So we just have two quick announcements. One, our Patreon perk is going to be talking about this moment that all of the kids are in in this chapter where they're shopping for school supplies, getting ready for fall. It is the moment we are in as well. It is the first week of October. And so we're going to be talking about anything we like doing to sort of hop into fall. And we also just want to let everybody know that if you attend our live show, which is next week, is virtual. It's going to be so much fun. There is a VIP event available only to patrons. Sign up and learn more at harrypottersacredtext.com. Our theme this week is intimacy. What story do you have for us? 
as you know, I'm the minister of the church at Harvard. Yes. And one of the interesting things and great things that comes with having that job at at Harvard is a like a very big house in the middle of Cambridge. You've been to our house, so has AJ. Uh, <laughs> and it's big and more than we deserve in the middle of a very expensive city like Cambridge. When I got hired, the university kind of made it clear to me that we don't deserve a house this big. And they were like, that's because you're supposed to use it to host university people, especially students. And there's a tradition of regular events at this house to welcome community members and especially students. And as we were moving in, Colette and I were thinking about how we wanted to welcome folks. And as you know, Vanessa, as our beloved listeners know, I'm, I like coffee. I like warm drinks. I also like pastry. And so we decided to have this thing called After School Snack. In the afternoons, once a week, we invite students to come over and just have a free latte or have some snacks and just hang out with us, pet suki, or do some coloring or origami with the kids or play catcher baseball or whatever. It's, it's a lot of fun. And we invite people over. And the first year we did it, it was a great success. Like we had a couple dozen students that would come every week and we developed really strong relationships with them and we wanted to create the environment of home you know especially for first year students who had just moved away from home this is kind of the half pandemic year when folks were still masked and some stuff was still remote in our first year here and people were away after a really traumatic experience and we just like you know students who are going to want to feel like they belong someplace and that there's a place where people care for them just because they are there and so we wanted to create this kind of intimate home environment and we did. It was a real success the first year, and the students who were part of it really loved it. And so we wanted to grow it. We wanted to kind of extend this outreach and let more students know about it and, and invite more students into our home. And so last year, I taught a seminar for first-year students. And so I plugged it with some of these first-year students, and then they sent out some emails and group texts. And I think it went on the email listserv for one of the large required intro science classes for Harvard first-year students. And we went from a few dozen to like a dozen dozen, <laughs> maybe not that many. We maybe tripled the size of after school snack. It was great in many ways. You know, we made connections with a lot more students. We fed a lot more students and, you know, a lot of friendships developed and that was good. We kind of got the word out that we were here and that, you know, we were a welcoming place and all those things. But something was really lost too. Like it was very busy. My daughter, Cammie, helps me make coffee. So we're like taking orders the whole time and really scrambling the whole time. And it was really intense. And there wasn't a lot of time to like talk to people because you're, you're constantly like getting more forks or restocking napkins or just kind of running around and managing just the flow of a lot of people into the house. And something was really lost last year, even though, you know, other things were gained because we had a lot of people coming over. This year, when we you know reentered this event, which we call After School Snack, I talked to some of my staff and Colette and I talked and we just said, you know, let's not advertise so much. Let's, you know, see if we can recreate some of the intimacy of the year before. So we've been doing it for about a month now and we've had fewer students show up than last year, maybe a few more than the, a couple of years ago. But, you know, we've been able to have conversations, we're able to talk to people, we're able to connect more deeply. And, you know, we don't have as many students. That's a real thing we've lost, but something has definitely been regained, which is intimacy, right? <laughs> just the, the opportunity to go a little bit deeper and make stronger connections just because it's not as big, just because there are fewer people who are here. And the fewer people there are, the more attention you can pay to every person who's around you. And so, we, you know, we kind of turned away from this kind of big growth model, which is where the pressure was, and instead tried to grow something else, which was, you know, deeper relationships through some intimacy. What I love about your story is that it points to the loss associated with intimacy. I think that, you know, intimacy is this really beautiful thing, but it's hard one. And 
it necessitates a kind of exclusion. Mm. And I think that we just have to acknowledge that we need intimate relationships in our lives. We need people who know us really well and who we know well. And that means that we don't have time for other things and other people. And I love seeing the complications of that. And, you know, I think we see that in a lot of ways in this chapter, but I'm thinking particularly about the prefects, right? That, like, Mm -hmm. it's an intimate group of people who get to become prefect, and that means that necessarily people like Harry are excluded. But it wouldn't be as special if it was totally inclusive. But, like, really pairing out what it is about intimacy that is so great, I think, is important, right? Because obviously there's loss in your story, but there is so much gained because of the intimacy. And I'm, yeah. I'm excited to jump into what exactly that is. Yeah, and you know, and to be clear, we're still welcoming anyone who shows up, and we have people who show up, like, randomly just because they see the sign outside, and we're, we're so happy when they do. But I think one of the things that we realized was that, like, what we were trying to deliver was this sense of home rather than like a cafeteria, right? Mm -hmm. And people like going to cafeterias itself that give free food, right? Which is what we kind of were last year. And that has a particular gift, but that's not the gift we wanted to give. The gift we wanted to give was like this gift of attention and care. And there are just limits to what we can do. And so we're not going to turn anyone away, but we're also not going to put forth the kind of promotional effort that means we're not able to, to generate that intimacy anyway. Okay, Matt, before we hop into our theme conversation, why don't we remind people what happened in this chapter? You mean through a very leisurely and considered discussion of all the events in the chapter? Exactly. Oh, good. Can you please count me in? Three, two, one, go. So Harry puts all of his money into the fountain going to St. Mungo's and then he goes home and everybody is really excited because it's almost time to leave for Hogwarts and Hermione and Ron become prefects and that's so exciting and so they throw a party and everybody comes and they're like oh my god it's such a big deal Ron gets a broom Fred and George are making fun of him a lot Moody shows Harry a photo at the party of like the old order of the phoenix and then there's a boggart upstairs and Mrs. Weasley goes up to ridiculous it and it's very sad I thought that was great as I was in my head thinking about what happened this chapter I completely forgot the money in St. Mungo's Fountain oh my god I'm glad you mentioned that okay Matt it is your turn to also remind people on your mark get set Go. So Harry walks out of the room where the trial was, and there's Arthur, and then they're walking along, and they see Fudge talking to Lucius, and Lucius is like, I tried to kill you, but let's not talk about it. And then he, they go home. When they get home, um, they find out that Ron and Hermione are prefects, and Harry's like, I didn't even know I wanted to be a prefect, but now I'm just one and not a prefect, and they go to dinner, and everyone's, it's a celebration dinner for Harry, but also for Ron and Hermione, and he's kind of sad, and then uh, 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 Mad-Eye shows him the picture, which is supposed to make him feel good, but makes him feel bad, and they go upstairs, and Molly is, is weeping because she's seeing all her dead children, and Lupin gets rid of the I'm really glad you reminded us about the Lucius moment. Yes. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about with respect to intimacy in this chapter is whether intimacy can be negative. I'm sure it can be, actually. I think that we tend to think about intimacy as a positive thing. The story I just told is about building positive intimacy, like inviting people in, making them feel close means making them feel cared for. But, you know, just to make a brief stop at Etymology Corner, intimate comes from the Latin superlative of just the word for within, inward, into. Mm. And so it's like the most inside thing. That's what intimacy refers to. And sometimes we can share like intimate moments with people we don't want to share those moments with, right? The reason I mention that is because 
I feel like there's this moment of, I guess we'll call it negative intimacy at the beginning of this chapter between Lucius Malfoy and Harry. After the hearing, Harry walks up and he sees Fudge speaking to Lucius. And they're having this kind of intimate moment, right? The two of them speaking privately to one another. And Harry looks at him and, you know, the text notes that Harry realizes the first time he has seen Lucius since he saw Lucius in the graveyard where he was tortured and Cedric was murdered, right? This is this, this moment in his life that Harry cannot communicate to other people. When he port keys back from this awful thing, he tries to tell people what happened, but even the ones who believe him, he can't actually communicate the horror of that to them. Yeah. It's this thing which is absolutely kind of inward. It's this trauma which is, is super intimate. It belongs to him. And the only person he has seen yet since it happened who has shared that moment with him is Lucius, right? And so, like, there is this, like, awful intimacy between the two of them. They both know that they were both there. And that's gross. <laughs> and yeah. it's just terrible. And, like, when I was reading this chapter and I knew we were going to think about intimacy and I knew that the definition had to do with, like, this inward shared thing, I just read this moment and, it, yeah, it just really bothered me because I tend to think about intimacy as positive. But here, obviously, it can be weaponized. It's painful. It's traumatic. It feels icky when you have a kind of intimacy with someone that, like, neither of you chose. Yeah. And this is even worse because, like, Harry was the one who didn't choose it. Lucius chose this. Lucius showed up and rather than intervening, witnessed it and is now pretending like it didn't happen. And Lucius, I think, is all about these, like, really negative forms of intimacy. He's very intimate with Fudge because he pays fudge right like he uses money and power and fear and bullying as the ways to form intimacy with other people yeah because i think intimacy requires some vulnerability Mm -hmm. like the sense that you're exposing the innermost parts often those innermost parts not always but often those innermost parts are the parts you're trying to protect or keep from others because it makes you vulnerable in some way and you can be vulnerable to others for all kinds of reasons not all of which are good right i mean i think Deep love requires vulnerability to one another. And when we offer vulnerability to one and it's mutual and we care for each other in our vulnerability, that is a good thing. But obviously we can be become vulnerable or be made vulnerable to others in ways which are harmful and awful. And I was thinking about this particular example where, you know, I had raised the idea that Lucius and Fudge are having this intimate conversation. Then you had just talked about their intimacy. Well, and that makes me think, well, maybe intimacy can be one directional, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Fudge is vulnerable to Lucius because Lucius is funding his political aspirations. Lucius has the power here. And so, like, if you want to see who's being intimate with whom, you can see, you can follow the trail of vulnerability, maybe. And that's obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that that can be and often is a trail of abuse and manipulation. It can be freeing, though, right? Because if you mm. think about it with your doctor, right? Like, that is a one-way intimacy, right? Where you're suddenly, like, you are bound by the Hippocratic Oath and by HIPAA to, like, not share this information. And that, therefore, creates a space where I can tell you things that I don't feel comfortable telling anyone else. And actually, right, like, my vulnerability is, like, a occupational burden on you, but it's, like, freeing for me. And I don't necessarily know anything about my doctor, right? And so I do think that it... Is intimacy based on vulnerability where it's unequal, I think, can can really yeah. go both ways. And it's our job to therefore be very yeah. careful, right? Like, like I'm thinking about relationships with children, right? Harry is very vulnerable for Molly. Molly is not usually vulnerable for Harry. At the end of this chapter, she's put in a situation where she is. 
And so I think that Harry feels intimately involved with Molly in a way that Molly, right, like does not feel known intimately by Harry. Yeah. And so I think that there can't, this can be held very preciously. Yeah. But absolutely, it can also be abused. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you and I both do spiritual counseling, right? They make themselves vulnerable to us in a way that they don't expect us to make ourselves vulnerable to them and in a way in which we ought not to make ourselves vulnerable to them, right? Because they are coming to us for care. We're not going to them for care, right? But those situations are ones where when one party is vulnerable, we have to be vigilant because those are the times when people can get hurt or where power is out of balance. And that's when and how people can get hurt. Yeah. Do you mind if I move us yeah. to a very different kind of intimacy? Please do. A happy one. Let's, let's a happy a good one. Yeah. I want to talk about a kind of intimacy that I really love, which is the love of close friends. So in this chapter, right, Hermione and Ron both get made prefect. Harry doesn't. Harry is particularly disappointed in conversation with Ron about this. I don't think because there's one female prefect and one male prefect every year, which seems weird to me, but whatever. He's not like, nah, Hermione stole it. Also, I think that if... He was in direct competition with Hermione. He would also be like, let's be honest, Hermione deserves to be prefect. But he does feel a little disappointed right. by this, like, Ron situation, <laughs> right? That Ron got prefect over him. But Hermione knows that it's touchy for Harry, that she does not feel comfortable running around gloating about the fact that she has become a prefect. Even though I think she knows that he is not hurt by her becoming a prefect, she also is not like, oh my God, can you believe it? I'm so excited. I just feel so validated, right? Like, she's taking care of him a little bit by not doing that victory lap in front of him. However, she does go up to him and say, hey, can I borrow a headwig? I would like to send my parents a note that I've become prefect because this is actually something that they would understand, right? My muggle parents will understand what prefect is. That's something we have too. And I love this as an intimacy moment for two things. One is that this is not a sentiment that I think that Hermione would share with a lot of people. This like, my muggle parents don't get to participate in this world a lot, but this is a moment where they can like, that does feel vulnerable to me and not necessarily something she would say to Parvati, right? Like, oh, it was so great. You know, my parents actually understood this. That feels like something that she barely even has to explain to Harry because he knows what that must mean to her. But the other thing is just this, like, entitlement to borrow things that I love. I love feeling entitled to my friend's things. And I love when my friends feel entitled to my things. And I think that that is a very high form of intimacy. When we found out that you were being considered for Pusey Minister, I was like, oh, man, I really hope you get it because I really want to park in that driveway. And I would feel entitled to parking in that driveway if it was your driveway. And you should. Thank you. And you should feel entitled. Yes. And I I just love it. I just love when people feel entitled. There is a kind of entitlement that only speaks to intimacy. And you know whether or not it's true intimacy if the person who's being imposed upon at least doesn't much resent it, right? Harry's just like, yeah, of course you can use Hedwig, yeah. right? Like, obviously, Hedwig belongs to all of us. And you were like, oh, my God, Vanessa, of course, I will try to get this job so that you can have a parking spot. I really want that for you. 
It's the only reason. Yeah, that's the or the biggest reason, <laughs> the best reason. But like, is this a bold thing to say that I think entitlement is a beautiful showing of intimacy? No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that it raises the question of like how we relate to our possessions. I would guess that there are certain things of yours that a certain level of friends are entitled to, but not others, right? Sure. But the the closer your friends, the more of your things people are entitled to. And so like a spot in a driveway is different than, you know, staying at our house, which you're also welcome to do anytime <laughs> you want. But you can Thanks. see there there might be a friend who could use the drive without asking, but should ask before they come sleep in a bed in the spare room. Right. Sure. But there are some friends like Vanessa Zoltan who can yeah. just show up and sleep in the spare room and don't even have to tell us. They could yes. just walk down for breakfast and grab a cup of coffee and we'll be like, oh, you're here. Wonderful. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, like our kids, like Danny, just when we ask him to take a shower, he just walks into our bathroom and takes a shower in our shower. <laughs> because <laughs> and you're he's not like, this like, is mine. Right. That's overstepping. Yeah. No, we're not like, oh, he's just like, this is mine and uses Colette's towel. <laughs> right, because that's just for him. He's just like this is this is all ours, right? Yeah, because because there's a pretty deep intimacy. Yeah, I think it's right. It makes sense. And then, right, like entitlement without intimacy is when it's exploitative, right? When you yes. feel entitled to someone else's natural resources, and it's not your country, or you know whatever it is, this park being used in a certain way because you're white, right? Like. Entitlement without intimacy is exploitation, but entitlement with intimacy, I think, is just, like, beautiful sharing. Yeah. Like, if somebody just off the street, like, pulled into our driveway and parked, <laughs> I would be incensed. Yes. Who are you, sir? Actually, this is funny. I mean, maybe entitlement can be a way to intimacy. We yes. actually had, last year, we had someone pull into our driveway, and I think they were from Columbia, if I remember correctly, and they couldn't find a place to park. They had never been to Harvard before and wanted to visit. And Colette was outside doing something with the kids. And they just said, can we, I'm sorry, we can't find a place to park. We don't really understand how parking works in this unreasonably difficult place. Yeah. Can we put our car here? And Colette was like, yes. Yeah. And then like, like she laughed with them and they brought us like, they went to a bakery and brought us pastries. And then we like told them how happy we were to be able to help them. And that it wasn't really entitlement, but right. like that sharing led to like more intimacy than we would otherwise have had. If they had just been strangers walking by that asked for directions to Harvard Square. Yeah. I remember a moment living in New York City where I was sitting on the subway reading and suddenly I feel this hand on my thigh and I was like, what? And I looked down and it is a little kid's. Entitlement. I know. It is a little kid's (laughs) hand and he is using my thigh in order to get up to sit onto the subway and just was like all adult bodies are clearly part of furniture and are like here to be used by me. (laughs) And I, you know, I like, I felt so A, flattered that I like looked like a safe enough person to be considered furniture to him. And also that he was just like, oh yeah, the world is mine. (laughs) We're all in this together. And like, everyone should help everyone get, everyone should help me get up on this bench. So yeah, that kind of vulnerability is just like, it can be really beautiful. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. That's a great example, Vanessa, about like how the sharing of Hedwig is a sign of this intimacy between them. But, you know, intimacy has its limits. If intimacy suggests going inward, there's probably always a level further inward one can go. And just one of the things that's interesting throughout the second half of this chapter is how Harry feels it's necessary to hide his feelings of disappointment which are folded into just feelings of frustration about, you know, how Dumbledore ignores him at the beginning of the chapter and how he feels disconnected from everything and feels vulnerable and all these things. But his disappointment in not being made a prefect, like he feels he needs to hide this from everyone else. But in this paradoxical way, it's to protect the strength of their friendship, right? Like he doesn't want Ron and Hermione to feel like they need to take care of him. Maybe he's also a little bit embarrassed, but he also wants them to be able to celebrate their day. He wants Ron to be able to celebrate something good happening to him. And so he, for the sake of that friendship, he shows less intimacy, right? <laughs> like, I don't know, just kind of ironic to me or paradoxical, because again, we think about intimacy as the foundation of friendship. And it is, but here is Harry, like, keeping one thing deeper inside mm -hmm. in order to preserve the friendship of others. It also kind of makes him bananas because he's he's really frustrated and he's really tense and really touchy which Hermione can sense but but which is just an interesting dynamic yeah and I think that this speaks to like why we need more than one friendship right like 
If yeah. you are going through a like minor breakup on your friend's wedding day, it is like not the day to complain to your friend who's getting married about your sad feelings, right? But you have another friend and it's not their wedding day and you can talk to them, right? Like you can preserve the intimacy with one friend and build the intimacy with someone else. And I think that this just speaks yeah. to like the beauty of community and why we all need each other and, you know, need multiple relationships. Because I I think you're absolutely right. Like, Harry is being a good friend here by not making this about him. It would break yeah. some trust and, like, break some intimacy yeah. if he was like, actually, can we not celebrate? I'm sad. But at least he gets to try to have these other moments with Moody. And, you know, I don't think he successfully reaches out to no. more people, which is a problem that Harry has in general. He again and again is going to resist being intimate with more than just Ron and Hermione. But I do think that this is a perfect illustration of why we need more than one friend. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, there's there's that other scene where you, I think maybe Moody is trying to build some intimacy with Harry at the dinner Molly hosts by showing this photograph. And it kind of lands wrong for Harry, I think, because he's already in a sour mood, but also because he misses his parents and, and the context of all their suffering makes this photo not have the kind of effect that Moody intended, maybe. And it also just makes me think about this dinner. I mean, as I read through this series of books again, especially as a parent of older children, you know, I think the first time I went through the books, my oldest was the age of Harry as a first year, right? And then we kind of blew through them pretty quickly. And now my oldest is the age of Harry now, and Ron and Hermione, and like I'm seeing some teenagers. And as I read through it again, like I'm finding Molly to be more and more the hero of these books, <laughs> right? For me, just from where I, because of where I am in my life. And yeah, I just like, the other thing that really builds intimacy in this chapter is I think Molly's hospitality. One thing Colette always noted is when our kids were toddlers, with the exception of Danny, who's always been very outgoing, Sammy and Cammy were both fairly shy when we would bring a kid over for a play date, a new friend over for a play date. Sammy and Cammy would just sit on our laps and not get off our laps while the other kid played with all their toys, <laughs> right? Until snack. And once you brought a snack out and people ate together and kids sat around the same table and ate food at the same time, after snack, everybody goes in place. Mm -hmm. They all play together. There's something about sharing a meal, breaking bread, whatever kind of you know idiom you want to use. There's something about that that just does build intimacy. It builds closeness. It makes something shared it establishes something shared between people so they can trust each other more. And that's what's happening with the Order of the Phoenix. You know, like that there are really different characters in this order. There's Sirius and there's Mundungus and there's Molly and there's Mad-Eye. And all these folks come together and Molly makes this meal for them. And it's through these meals where they get to spend time together and negotiate these intimacies, you know, show a photograph you shouldn't have showed, whatever, help Molly get rid of a boggart, working all that stuff out over a meal is how these relationships are built and shared. And I just, I think that's one of the examples in this chapter of how intimacy is built in a useful, non-exploitative, non-manipulative and productive way. Vanessa, now it's time for our spiritual reading practice. And this week we are going to be 
doing Chavruta, which is a two-person practice where you discuss a text. And the way that we do it on this podcast is we, we do it as a series of sacred questions, questions and answers. So I'm going to ask a question about this chapter, and then I'm going to offer my own answer. And then you're going to offer an answer and ask me a question in return. I can't wait. I love that. So here's my question, Vanessa. This might be a controversial question. I'm wondering what our listeners will think. The question I have is, should Ron be prefect? Oh, what's your answer, Matt? Or give me more context. Well, let me, can I tell you why I'm thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking about yeah. it. It's because I want to know why and how the position of prefect is awarded, right? Like, yeah. for me, Hermione is clearly a prefect candidate. Yeah. She'll clearly be prefect. But to me, the, the real reason is because she's obviously stellar at school. She's the, the most brilliant student in her class. She also follows rules, cares about justice, cares about fairness. Like all the things that one would want in a leader, Hermione seems to show, but maybe especially academic excellence. And this is a school. And so we reward academic excellence, right? So I can see Hermione. Ron, it's less clear mm-hmm. what those things are, right? Ron, I think, does not show the attributes I've just described, or at least does not show them to the same degree that Hermione does. Ron is not a great student. No. I think Ron cares about justice, but not enough. <laughs> and I'm not sure Ron cares about the rules very much. I mean, Ron has not shown a desire to be prefect. We love Ron. Of course we love Ron. And Ron is one of the heroes of the story. We don't know the other students in Gryffindor as well as we know Ron. And so it's hard for us to compare But it makes me think that perhaps, you know, sometimes you put people into leadership positions because you think they can grow into the position. Yeah. Like maybe this will be the day that Ron becomes president, (laughs) right? Like sometimes you put people in positions thinking, oh, they have the potential, but what they need is the, the push, the challenge. And maybe that's a reason to put Ron in this position. But then I think, I feel like there are probably other students in Gryffindor who have already demonstrated more and deserve deserve to be made prefect. So like Neville. Neville, exactly. Neville has shown more leadership and rectitude and and desire to do things right than Ron. And and I'm not sure Neville's that much worse a student than Ron. No. Right? I'm not I don't know what their exact marks are. And so the, the question is, is prefect a position that's awarded for past merit or future promise? And I think it can go either way, but for the sake of this conversation and to give our listeners a hot take, I'm gonna say no. It should be at least fifty one percent about past merit. It can be about future promise. I think that's partly Hermione too. I think Hermione's going to grow into some leadership in this role. But I think it should be at least 51% past merit. And if it's 51% past merit, I don't think Ron is the best candidate for the other prefect position. And so I'm going to invite the ire of some of our listeners and say Ron should not be prefect. Vanessa, what do you think? I agree with everything you said. Like, I think that this is how mediocre white men succeed We see the potential of white men before we see potential in other people. White men are given the benefit of the doubt in this way that I think is actually detrimental for them, right? Like, I, I, like, don't think that this is actually how you create a sense of leadership and responsibility. Ron is wonderful, and we love Ron, and he does have a ton of potential, but, like, this creates a lot of insecurity and confusion in him, too, right? And so, I, yeah, this yep. is, like, societal norms doing what they do without actual care for, for any individuals. But I will disagree with you a little bit. Of course Ron should be prefect, 
because Dumbledore is building an army, and this is a mission-based thing. And, right, we even hear Kingsley talking about that, right? Kingsley at this, like, cocktail party, dinner party thing is like, oh, I think Dumbledore should have made Harry prefect because that would have shown that he believes in Harry and, like, believes in the truth of Harry, right? Like, they're talking about the selection of, like, essentially 10th grade president at a, like, undercover CIA ops meeting (laughs) because... It's a political conversation, like who should be prefect in Gryffindor at Hogwarts at this moment. And I think that these are all political decisions, right? Like Draco is also going to be made prefect, and I think that Dumbledore is doing that to try to bring Draco into the fold. Like, as far as a political strategic move, I don't know that Ron is the right decision over Harry. We're going to hear at the end of the book that Dumbledore wanted Harry to have some pressure released off of him. But I think that it is one fair strategic decision. But without the war strategy behind it, Ron absolutely should not be prefect. It should be Neville. The binary I created was, is this about past merit or future promise? And I think you've made a really good argument for future promise, that this is a strategic decision about building his army. I think you could think about, okay, if it is about past merit, who has the most courage and loyalty? And when we have that question, I think Ron's right up there. I think Neville is too. Ron doesn't have less courage and loyalty than Neville, but I'm not sure he's got more either. I mean, then it becomes more of a, maybe we have like a a more even decision and just the proximity to Harry and Harry's kind of role and Dumbledore's plan means it has to be Ron. So there's a way you could kind of spin that future promise towards some past merit, but yeah. But I don't think it's about Ron's future promise insofar as Dumbledore's like him. I believe in him. I think this is really about strategy. Like, if Ron catches Harry doing something out of bounds, Ron isn't going to tattle. Right? Like, I I think that there's also just like... I see. I don't want it to be Harry. Whereas Neville will. We know Neville will. Right. Or like, it'll put Neville in an awkward position, right? Like... Whatever it is, I think that there's just, like, some real strategy involved here. I mean, the question that I have back for you is, like, should prefects exist? Yeah. Right? Like, does this school need, like, more of a hierarchy? And I don't know, right? Like, I have very mixed feelings about creating, like, opportunities for learning how to be a leader. I do not believe that if you happen to be in a leader position that makes you any better than anybody else. It does often mean you have more power than other people, though. So should, like, certain 15-year-olds have more power than other 15-year-olds? And aren't we just creating, like, little narcs, like, among the students? And, like, isn't this just, like, a surveillance state move to be like, and now you can't even trust your peers. Some of them have more power. I mean, like, and my answer will be, I think fifth year is really young for this. I think that this kind of thing should wait until seventh year, in which, like, you are you are noticing that certain students want to step into leadership positions and feel as though they could be, like, great organizers and, right, like, other people want to be oars, which isn't a leadership position. Other people want to be accountants, which isn't necessarily leadership, but some people really want to be out there, like, advocating for elf rights, and so you want to give them practice. But I don't know. I think it is very strange and, and like, not pedagogically sound to make 15-year-olds prefects. So to answer your question, I like your question and your answer. I'm going to try to have it both ways. And I'm going to say... 
that I think that there should be prefects, but the prefect position should be reimagined, right? You know, I was in the military, and I'm I'm not saying that the military forms leaders the way I think leaders should always be formed. But in in leadership training in the military, like it's not like one person is in charge of everybody the whole time. Rather, everyone in the unit takes a turn being in charge of everybody else for certain problems or for certain periods of time, right? And that's that's really useful, actually, because then everyone has the experience of leading and knows what it's like to try to manage a complicated group of many personalities. Whether you end up as a leader or follower later, that's really useful information, like a really useful experience, because you know how hard it can be, so you're a more sympathetic follower. Or if you're a leader, you learn how to do that with the people that you're working with. And I think that does actually build a lot of teamwork and intimacy when people have to learn to trust each other and learn to defer to another's decision when you're not the leader, like all these things. And if instead of like a a letter you get at the beginning of the year, and these two students are going to have authority over all the others for the rest of the year, if instead it was selected for certain parts of the year and it rotated through every student or certain challenges that the houses would have to undertake together, different people would have turns being leaders, then it might be some kind of leadership formation program that could be of some use. But I think you're right. As it stands now, it's not a useful position and just builds exactly the kinds of worrisome things that you you named. Well, thanks, Matt. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now we have a voice memo from Russell. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. This is Russell from Chicago. Um, I'm calling in in response to uh, your take on spite through the third task in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, um, there was another area in that chapter where I noticed spite. And it's that the riddle that the Sphinx gives Harry, I sort of see as spiteful towards the system that has taken her out of her natural home and has forced her to act as an obstacle in what's essentially an overblown schoolyard game for children 
Um, she's essentially confined to exist in a very specific role where all that she's able to do is tell a riddle. And she's expected to behave in a way that is a challenge to the contestants. But in spite of these expectations, uh, she makes the riddle relatively easy. And not only that, but she's doing her best to warn Harry of the danger that he's about to face. The answer to the riddle being spider. And lo and behold, Harry is attacked by a giant spider right after he passes her. So it's either that or she just really loves some dramatic timing. So blessings to everyone who is operating in a flawed system and is doing their best to work against it. And also blessings to everyone who lives for drama. Thanks, Russell, for that delightful email. You know, I never thought of the Sphinx that way, and I think it deserves thinking about. And I'm glad that you named it and described it the way you did. And blessings to you for kind of widening the scope of my vision and thinking about all the creatures. You know, on this, on this podcast, especially the last few weeks, we've talked about the statue at the ministry and what creatures are marginalized and portrayed in certain ways. But even in my reading in the last book, like there are creatures I was not seeing sufficiently, and I'm grateful for you expanding my vision. So thanks, Russell. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who've been loved and lost. Margaret Elizabeth Bradford, who was 84, a grandmother who was an ally to her transgender and non-binary grandkids. Eddie Wells, who was 60, the best dad and pops a lover of chopsticks and motorbikes. Brandon Schomer, who had just turned 27 and was a beloved partner, son, brother, and friend. Stan Reynolds, who was 68, a patient father, a generous uncle, and a devoted grandpa. And Eugene, who was 70, a father, husband, and was a devoted Disney fan. May their memories be a blessing. Matt, it's now time for us to offer blessings to characters in this chapter. Who would you like to bless this week? I would like to bless Fred and George. Mm. You know, when Ron gets his letter, they give Ron a hard time. <laughs> but I think they're they're secretly proud of Ron. And you can tell they're secretly proud of Ron because the way that they reveal this to Molly shows that they know how excited Molly will be. And they're excited about how excited Molly will be. It just reminds us, like, how close-knit and loving this family can be, even though people have different gifts and different interests and whatever. Just that that Fred and George, in their own way, can both be big brothers and give Ron a hard time, but also recognize how happy their mom will be and find joy in her happiness. I like that. And it, and it, I, that whole thing is just made more poignant by the final scene of the chapter, because we know that both twins will not survive the war to come. Who are you blessing, Vanessa? I'm blessing Molly. We just didn't really get a chance to talk about this moment at the end of the chapter where she is you know, fighting this bogger, and she just doesn't have the 
energy to find this idea ridiculous, right? Like the way to fight the bogger is to look at this thing that you're scared of and say, oh no, right? Like I'm going to laugh at you. I'm going to make that funny. And there's just, there's no way for her to do that. And so I just want to bless her for like loving so powerfully and so sincerely that she actually can't, she can't find this in any way ridiculous. And that is just a deeply pure heart. Next week, we're going to be reading book five, chapter 10, Luna Lovegood. We're meeting Luna, folks, and we are going to do it with Jolie Doggett through the theme of beauty. Matt, our only announcement before we give our thanks is a reminder that we have our virtual live show next week. Find out more at harrypottersacredtext.com. You can get ad-free episodes through Apple Podcasts and through our Patreon. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Evan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by 8Cast. Thanks this week to Russell for their voice memo, to Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Takayle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones this week. No, I hold on. I gotta time myself, but it doesn't matter because I can just pretend that we're. You can cut this out and we can pretend we're starting exactly when she said go. Don't do it, AJ. Okay. Leave all of this in. Deep breath. Leave it all in. Do Deep it. Breath. <laughs>